Welcome to the first episode of Women's Wellness by the Women's Wellness Research Collaborative. This is a podcast where we're going to talk about women's health needs throughout every stage of life, from young women through to midlife women, women's health after a cancer diagnosis, and women who are living with type 2 diabetes. But on this podcast, you're going to hear from some of our world-leading researchers in women's health. I'm Professor Deborah Anderson, and I'm the founder and director of the Women's Wellness Research Collaborative. And I'm also Dean of the Faculty of Health at the University of Technology, Sydney in Australia. I've spent my career dedicated to helping women be the best that they can be. And why I've done that is what we recognised really early on is there were things that women could change in their life and there's things that women can't change. So what I recognised is when we focused on those modifiable lifestyle factors, those things that women can change, we can make a big difference to their health, the health as they go through life and the health after they have a chronic disease. What we find is that the Women's Wellness Research Collaborative, which is a large collaborative from across the world, um, has the leading researchers in this women's wellness area. And they're all aiming to successfully support women to change their lifestyle factors and in turn their lives and outcomes as they progress through life. We wanna be the voice of reason among all the non-evidence-based noise around women's wellness. We want to help women sift through that noise in the wellness and wellbeing space and provide them with evidence-based information to support their quality of life. We really hope that women and other listeners will take away from this podcast a new sense of ownership of their own wellness and well-being and be able to incorporate into their lives evidence-based, research-based lifestyle factors. Today, I'll be speaking with Professor Sandy McCarthy. And Sandy McCarthy's involvement with the Women's Wellness Research Collaborative goes right back to the beginning, where Sandy and I were both partners in thinking about what can we do for women after cancer. So I had the expertise in the women's wellness space and Sandy McCarthy had the expertise in the cancer space. And we put our heads together and thought, what can we do in the area of women's health after cancer? Because we found that there was a lot of the similarities that we found in women, for example, for midlife, happened to women after cancer because of the different effects and treatment that they have. For example, chemotherapy will knock women into menopause early. So... Sandy and I were partners next door in offices and uh, over many coffees and lunches, we devised the Women's Wellness After Cancer Research Program. And I'm very happy to say that Sandy McCarthy is leading this from the University of Queensland for the whole Women's Wellness Research Collaborative across the world. So welcome, Sandy, to our first podcast. It's so fabulous to be able to have you as our first partner in crime in being able to discuss the Women's Wellness Research Program and with a specific emphasis after cancer. First of all, I'd like to um, let you introduce yourself and then um, wonder why do we need a program for Women's Wellness After Cancer? Thanks, Deb. Well, the impetus for me coming into this program, into this, this whole field of research was my clinical background as a chemotherapy nurse. And the thing was that when I was actually caring for women receiving chemotherapy, I was intensively involved with them for anywhere between, you know, three months and six months on a weekly or monthly basis. And then once they left the service, I never saw them again and never understood what happened to them. And I can remember one day bumping into one of the ladies that I'd actually helped treat and she was huffing and puffing around the supermarket and she looked really, really unwell. And I started chatting with her and I said, how have you been? And she said, oh, my cancer's gone, but I'm left with this heart failure. 
And that was many years ago before we really, really understood what cancer treatments did. Yes, they can cure or they can uh, halt the progression of the cancer itself, but they actually have a lot of side effects. And this lady was obviously in a lot of physical distress. And so I actually started from that time on wondering what happened to these women, researching what happened to these women, and was quite devastated as a clinician as to the after effects of the treatments that I'd been administering. There's a whole raft of side effects, very long-term and persistent side effects from chemotherapy that can happen to women that in those days weren't really well recognised. They are now. And one of the good things is that we understand that if we implement certain um, lifestyle changes, both during and after treatment, we can actually often prevent those side effects happening or we can moderate their effects once they do happen. So you talk about the lifestyle modifications that you can put in place for these women after cancer. What are those lifestyle modifications you're talking about and, and how do you think they're going to work? Well, I mean, there's a whole heap of modifications we can make, but I, I guess the thing that underpins everything we do in women's wellness is those changes can't be made without good psychosocial support underpinning it. We've got to wrap the women in a blanket because essentially once they've exited acute cancer treatment, they're left on their own to recover on their own. And many women don't know um, what strategies in lifestyle in particular that they can use to, to change their treatment outcomes to stop these effects happening. So what we do is we're very, very concerned about quality of life and function and how lifestyle modification can actually enhance that. And the factors that are involved in that are a whole heap of things like lots and lots of movement, minimising alcohol wherever possible, eating a really, really healthy diet, getting lots of sleep, moderating those terrible effects of menopause that are induced by a lot of breast and gynae cancer treatments, for example, and minimising psychosocial distress because a lot of women are left very distressed by their diagnosis and, and their treatment. And that often persists. The other thing that we do try and help is with cognitive alterations. So a lot of women are left with very cloudy thinking as a result of their treatment and its experience. And we try and help through lifestyle to modify that as well. So what do you think are the issues and challenges then for women trying to put these things into their lives? Like you're saying, you know, sleep and exercise and the, the types of diet. What are the issues and challenges that women face just doing it alone? Doing it alone is the big problem because a lot of health professionals, while they're aware of these issues increasingly, they're not funded or resourced to actually help women through that recovery phase. Once you've exited from the system, you are exited. You're well. You've got, you don't have cancer anymore. And therefore, you're left to your own devices. And there's this enormous gap. And women often report how disconnected they feel from the health system and how little support they get once they've recovered from their treatment. Challenges are, are A, the lack of systemic support and particularly resourcing via things like medical benefits and those sorts of things, but also a lack of knowledge about what simple changes in lifestyle can actually do to benefit your post-treatment experience. So it's that combination of lack of resources and lack of knowledge and lack of understanding of where to go, which is what women's wellness is trying to fill. 
Yeah, like, and you're so right, Sandy, you know, speaking to women after cancer, I know, as you you know, but as we have done in many times, is that the women say that once the cancer treatment stops, they go home and all the casseroles stop coming around and all the support systems, the different community groups have got together to support them. And then the husbands, you know, wants them, everyone wants them back to normal. So these women then go back into their life and suddenly they're taking the kids back to school and the husband's gone back to out of the house and work or post-COVID. And also, you know, there's uh, that support systems. And then the women are really left to try and, and work out what's the next steps and how to incorporate these lifestyles that they've been told to do into their lives. So I think you're absolutely right there. So then, Sandy, what studies have you done and, and the team? What have we done to address these issues and challenges? Well, we, I mean, as a team, we, we've developed the Women's Wellness After Cancer Program, which is a 12-week, very supported lifestyle management intervention, if you like, program where we give a lot of clinical and psychosocial support to women. We guide them through the lifestyle changes that they need to make in a very evidence-based way. So things like what's the best movement, particularly when you've got pain or you've got neuropathy, what's the best diet to have, particularly when, you know, a lot of women have psychosocial challenges. Women with breast cancer, for example, come out of breast cancer treatment, usually weighing an awful lot more than they went in because of the nature of the drugs. So there's this constant struggle to lose weight after treatment, but what's the best and safest way to do that? How best to manage the hot flushes and the sleeplessness that actually arise from treatment-induced menopause? These are some of the things that we've been doing. How to manage lymphedema, which is the swelling of the limbs that happens after some cancer surgeries and can be very permanent if we don't get onto it early. So these are some of the things that we were doing in women's wellness with a great deal of success. We enhanced the quality of, of life and function of, the, I think it was 351 women in that study. And since then, we've, we've gone into younger women, looking at the wellness of younger women during cancer recovery, because they have very specific issues around sexual function, fertility, social support, how to bring up young children in the context of this condition, and those studies are just wrapping up. We've sort of expanded into New Zealand and Hong Kong with younger women. And next year in 2022, we're very excited. We're developing a whole new program with Canteen for younger women and young men between the ages of 15 and 24. We're developing a lifestyle intervention for them, which will be totally delivered via telehealth. And they'll be designing it. We're very excited about that because They've even designed the logos for that particular program. And we're also moving now into issues like body image because a lot of cancer surgeries and chemotherapy and radiotherapy result in a lot of bodily alteration that can be quite difficult to deal with, removal of breasts, lymphedema, stomas on the outside of your stomach rather than normal bowel function. So how do you develop lifestyle um, a normal lifestyle in the context of that sort of bodily alteration that's been happening. And that's our next big push. Thanks, Sandy. It's really exciting times. And I know that we've got some really tried and true, strong women's wellness after cancer programs that have led to a lot of these other programs that we're now able to implement. Mm. So of course, Sandy, we're not doing it alone. Can no. you tell us about the team of experts that we've got who are targeting? So with the Women's Wellness Research Collaborative, what we do is if we need an expert in sleep 
or exercise or diet, we invite them in. So we're a collaborative. We work with the best experts in the world to design the best evidence-based programs for women after mm -hmm. cancer. But we've got an amazing team and partners that we work with, with Women's Wellness After Cancer. Um, and now, of course, we've got the Young Men After Cancer too with Canteen. Do you want to tell us about some of your team of experts and also some of our partners, which we will be following up in future podcasts to focus on sleep or just exercise after mm -hmm. cancer to be able to really look into this in more detail. But firstly, could you give us a broad scope of what's to come next year with regards to your team of experts? We'll be working with experts like Professor Sandy Hayes, who was an expert sort of at the, at the whole nexus of cancer, exercise and lymphedema which will be amazing. We'll be working with Professor Simon Smith from the Sleep Centre at UQ. He's a world expert in enhancing sleep during chronic conditions. We do have a big focus next year on sexual wellbeing and sexual function, and we're working with Dr. Janine Porter-Steele in that space, as well as experts in Hong Kong who deal specifically in that area. And in terms of stoma and bowel cancer, we're working with Professor Mike Finlay, who heads up Cancer Trials New Zealand. And we're very excited about our partnership with New Zealand. And there's, there's a whole raft of statisticians and, and cancer experts over there. One of the other exciting partnerships we've developed most recently is in the gynae cancer space, where we're working with Dr. Michelle Wilson over at Auckland City Hospital, where they have the biggest rate of gynae cancer in the world, as well as Professor Andreas Obermeyer here in Brisbane, who is a, a world-leading gynaecology-oncology expert. And we've actually got a fair few grants happening with Professor Obermeyer pretty soon. So we're very, very well supported in terms of our evidence-based expertise. Thanks, Sandy. And then, of course, we've got our people that we've been working with for about 10 years in this space, mm. which is Cancer Council Queensland, the, the Wesley. And of course, we're working with the MARTA to roll out the Women's Wellness After Cancer program as well. So there's a lot of partnerships involved, a lot of universities involved across the world um, and a lot of experts we're also growing the next generation of researchers in this space as well, aren't we, Sandy, with regards to uh, developing up some postdoctoral opportunities and our PhD students. So we've had through the Women's Wellness After Cancer about seven postdoc students who have gone on to become um, and lead in this area and uh, many PhD students as well. We've got 15 current PhD students in Brisbane alone. And they're from a variety of disciplines. So uh, many of them are from exercise science because exercise oncology is a growing field, but we've got dietitians. And one of the really exciting ones that we have is in health economics, because one of the things that we're very committed to is embedding recovery care as usual care and having it paid for by the, the medical benefits scheme. Uh, we're on a real push to do that. And in order to do that, we actually have to provide a rationale of why it's cost effective to do so. So we've got some very good opportunities coming up in that space with our PhD students. And we've got a very highly qualified health economist on our team, Professor Haitham Tufaha, who is not only a leading international health economist, he's an oncology pharmacist who really gets what we do with chemotherapy and what the outcomes are. 
What sort of feedback have you and the team received from the actual participants, from the women themselves who have undertaken the programs? Well, that takes me back to the days when we were first running Women's Wellness, Deb, and, and we put out a call for participants for the very first program and the website crashed because it was oversubscribed. That continues to happen. We, we have sort of tried to insulate our website from crashes as a result of that. But I'll give you an example. In New Zealand, women are so hungry so very hungry for this intervention that even though COVID delayed the beginning of the, the Younger Women's Wellness Program by a year, we have actually finished the study 12 months early because women were so enthusiastic and we had absolutely no problem getting participants. And, and that's normally an enormous problem in cancer studies. It, it never has been for us. So the feedback is amazing. And I mean, we've had many, many women say, okay, I've finished the 12 week program. Can I re-enroll? That's yeah. <laughs> Cause you know, the women, the women themselves are just saying it works so well for them and they feel yeah. like they're inspired and they're actually putting in place, hopefully preventative strategies to get further chronic diseases, which uh, these yeah. women are at risk of getting. Yeah. So um, where are the programs delivered and how have they been translated for different cultural audiences? You've talked about New Zealand and Hong Kong. Mm. So how do you go about that? And how, how on earth do you offer something that you've offered in Australia to like Maori women in New Zealand and Chinese women in Hong Kong? What's, what's that process oh, about? We use, we use the process called experience-based co-design and adapted intervention mapping, which basically means that we take what we've got to the new culture and say, okay, this is what we've got. Tear it to pieces for us. How can we, how can this be designed with you for you to meet your cultural and psychosocial needs? And quite often we find that while the basic elements, things like diet, exercise, sleep management stay, the way that the intervention is delivered will be completely different. So for Maori women in New Zealand, for example, we've, we've spent oh, two and a half years completely redesigning both the content of the intervention. So it's actually delivered a, a lot of the time in Maori language, which is far more appropriate. And instead of individualised consultations with our, our program nurses, Maori women have a very inclusive collective culture. So the intervention is actually delivered on the marae, which is their meeting place, in, in a very safe, spiritually protected environment, and only Maori women deliver it. So anybody who is not of Maori culture does not have anything to do with the delivery of the intervention. So it's, it's a very flexible intervention. The basic evidence base remains the same, but the way that it is delivered is always done in a culturally appropriate way, not just in consultation with women, but with those women actually designing how it, how it looks and feels. And the same thing has happened in Hong Kong, where the entire intervention has been translated into Cantonese. And things like our emphasis in Western societies on alcohol and alcohol minimisation, which is very harmful if you've had cancer, are completely irrelevant in the Chinese context where alcohol is very rarely drunk. So in our Hong Kong versions, for example, there's nothing about that. And there's an awful lot about how, to, how best to prepare tofu and, and all of those sorts of things. So that's how we do it, Deb. We just go in and we ask, what is it you need and how do you need it? Fantastic. And finally, you shared with us some um, studies we're looking at that are funded in the future. 
I know that we've also got uh, our Vietnamese colleagues who are wanting to, who are looking at developing the women's wellness after cancer into the Vietnamese context mm. for next year. What's your wish list, Sandy, for the next two years on uh, what are we going to achieve in women's wellness after cancer, the program that you're leading for the Women's Wellness Research Collaborative? My vision is to actually have this paid for, that women can have completely subsidised recovery care, that it is implemented as standard care for all people who have cancer, that people do understand that lifestyle is very important in enhancing recovery and quality of life. That's a fantastic vision, Sandy, and I, along with you, really hope that we can achieve that for women after cancer globally because we know we can make such an impact for women after cancer and their lives. Sandy, I just want to say thank you for all the amazing researched work that you've done in this space. And I'm really looking forward to working with you in the future and pulling in some of our experts to be able to discuss some of those aspects of the Women's Wellness After Cancer Research Program that you've talked about today. So thank you very much, Sandy, for your time. We really appreciate it. It's great to get the message out there. Thank you. You've been listening to Women's Wellness Podcasts from the Women's Wellness Research Collaborative. You can find us at wellnessresearch.org.au.